Eagles Entertainment. With the 15th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and bowl season is here. We've got games to talk about. It is all set to kick off this weekend, and we will preview a bunch of those matchups and talk to one of the preeminent voices in the draft media space right now, right at the top of the show. That voice for Mr. Relevant, Lance Zerline, NFL Media. He's back on the show to talk about his first round of evaluations, who stood out, some player comps, and a look into his process this time of year. After that, we've got Saturday Scouting. Ben Fennell and I are going to break down some of the prospect news with underclassmen, Senior Bowl. Then we'll jump in to the slate of games here on Saturday, get you ready for bowl season. On top of that, we've also got a mock draft from ESPN's Todd McShay that we will break down. Then we've got pick six. Ross Tucker and I continue our head-to-head battle. Bowl season is here. or The, the, the stakes have never been higher in this weekly head-to-head head battle between Ross and I. We'll do that towards the end of the show. And then Draft Mailbag, talking pros and cons from one of our listeners. A great question here from our Apple Podcast page. And again, that is the number one way to support the show. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a question. Leave us with a rating. We will get to it here in an upcoming show. Last week, Ben and I broke down an entire 32-pick mock draft from one of your one of our listeners at home. So if you've got a question, a mock draft, a set of rankings, whatever it is, go leave it there in the Apple Podcast comment section, and we will get to it here in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get started here. Excited to welcome in Lance Zerline. He is this week's Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. All right, so joining us here for Mr. Relevant this week, Lance Zerline. He's been on the show many times before from NFL Media. You could follow him on Twitter at Lance Zerline. Lance, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Yeah, it's good to be here. How are we doing, Fran? Uh, doing great, man. It's a it's a fun time of year, right? Because as NFL teams are starting to turn their eyes towards the draft next year, NFL fan base is starting to turn their eye. Uh, the podcast becomes more and more popular. More people are listening, so numbers are up. Um, and obviously, we get to uh, have voices on like yours uh, to take us through. It's always fun. And I, I kind of want to pick your brain first about just where you're at at this point in the process. You do all the bios for NFL.com. What are days like for you right now? Are, what are the players you're focusing on? Do you watch guys in groups? Uh, what's a, what's a day? in the life like for Lance Zerline at this point in the calendar? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I So what it looks like for me is I start with um, – I basically start with senior bowl guys, guys who have senior bowl invitations. I try to work in underclassmen as they uh, declare for the draft because, yep. you know, eventually you got to ride all these guys. So it's a matter of being as efficient as possible. When I first started this, it used to be I would write, I would write East-West Shrine guys and senior bowl guys concurrently – and then what happened was, you know, there's it's just not that efficient. A lot of the East-West guys, it, it goes like this. I work on senior bowl guys, <clears throat> rounds one and two underclassmen, and then combine invites. So along yep. the way, you know, combine invites are senior bowl guys. Combine invites sometimes are East-West or NFL PA games. Um, they're underclassmen. So, you know, you just try to, to, to do as – you try to be as efficient as possible because my deadlines are, you know, by – by basically the cutoff day to announce, I think a week after that, I have to be ready to have bios for everybody who's in Daniel Same. Jeremiah or Bucky Brooks first mock draft, yeah. uh, which means the top players. Then comes senior bowl. I have to have everyone in the senior bowl written up. And of course there's a lot of dropouts and replacements. So yep. that keeps me busy in the days coming up. And then the next deadline is, is combine guys, all the combine guys. So typically I'll, I'll have written, uh, 385 to 390 players by the time the combine rolls around sometime 
you know, it's been up near 400, but, uh, so my day looks like I'll do anywhere right now between three and four players as I get more tape and I've got most of my tape right now, you know, it gives me the opportunity to look at four and sometimes five players. Um, I just looked at two, uh, three offensive linemen for, for Illinois and Chase Brown all at the same time. I'm looking three offensive linemen, one running back. And that's great because I can look at four players from one team takes about for those positions. It takes about two hours for the tape. And then, you know, the write-ups are a a separate thing. But then once I start getting into guys like Will Levis, once I start getting into CJ Stroud, presumably, uh, once I start getting into Bryce Young, that really takes more time. You know, those guys are going to take a little more time. Uh, the top, Will Anderson's going to take a little bit more time. The top offensive linemen and, and um, uh, you know, cornerbacks will take a little bit more time. So so what it looks like for me is I do my radio show until about 10 in the morning. I take a little break after that, just kind of a brain break. Yep. And then I get started in the uh, – the late morning, early afternoon and work. And I'm working a reasonable schedule seven days a week. I work on Saturday and Sunday too. But then if I really want to crank it up and start doing about five players a day, well, that's going to get me home a lot later, but it might buy me a Sunday. You know what I mean? So it's a balance of how late do I want to work into the night versus, you know, do I want to work about five hours on a Sunday, which isn't the worst thing in the world. I usually have my my Sunday ticket on in the background. And when I flip, you know, I can flip between tape and watch a game on a Sunday, things like that. So um, it's, it's busy, but it really starts to, to be a race once I hit uh, late December, January. So, you know, it's, that's uh, right now I'm racing towards basically the senior bowl. Uh, I do not have to write the same amount of reports that, that you do, thankfully. Uh, what I find is that uh, I, am, I am much more of a morning person than a uh, than a night owl. So uh, I, I will yeah. I will find my chances where, um, you know, hey, like I don't have to uh, take my son to daycare in the morning. I, I can get into the office, you know, before the sun comes up. And now I can get three, four guys done um, on a game day before I've got to get ready for like our kickoff show on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And th- those are the days or the mornings where it's like, oh, I, I was really able to be productive from that space today. I want to ask you too you're very involved with the joe moore award uh the award given out to the best offensive line in college football so you're studying the guys in the trenches all throughout the fall uh not that you've got like rabbit ears up to everything every analyst is putting out uh, on a weekly basis but is there an offensive lineman uh that you feel kind of deserves a little bit more love than what you feel like he might be getting uh you know nationwide in the space yeah I, you know in all honesty when i watch offensive lines for the joe moore award i'm watching a unit uh more than the individual player I mean, I notice the players, but a lot of times I don't know them individually because what I do is a little different than guys like Dane Brugler will do, um, guys like, you know, like Matt Miller and Kuiper, McShay, all those guys. I mean, they're they're paying heavy, heavy attention to players throughout the year. For me, because I have a sports talk show, because I talk about, you know, Astros, Rockets, Texans, uh, but also because – I have to write reports on these guys. What I like to do is I like to get as much. I mean, I watch a game like anyone else, but I like to get tape and I, I like to have enough tape to where I can really get through a player and develop an opinion on a player. I don't like developing a a confirmation bias by watching a game early in the season and feeling too strongly or too negatively, because what it will do is it will create, I think an idea moving forward is if I'm not watching them on a regular basis, I just assume this player is really bad or really good, you know, just for example. And so what I like to do is wait until I have enough tape where I can really get through a study of that player. So I, I'm different in that, you know, it makes, it makes the process take a little longer for me, 
But I also think it makes the process um, a little more consistent where I'm going mm. to have more accurate representation and less confirmation bias. So that's how I do it. Um, I will look at players in groups a lot of times. I prefer to look at three players at the same time yep. from the same position. I do that with tight ends a lot. I usually start off with offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and tight ends because for me, I don't have to have all their tape to know who they are. If I've got good games, you know, I can see their physical deficiencies. I can see their strengths. Um, I, I do like to like I'm waiting on Michigan O-line, D-line because I want to see them square off potentially against Georgia if that happens. So I want to see you best on best if possible. Of course, I have some I've got Michigan on Ohio State and I have watched. I mean, I've watched plenty of Michigan from in terms of the Joe Moore Award. They're one of the finalists. But I do prefer to see best on best as one of the games that I'm looking at. So um, that's, you know, that's what I'll do, Fran. I, I find it easier to stack players if you watch them consecutively, two, three at a time. And then there are other days I get tired of looking at alignment, you know, yep. line, D-line, whatever, and I'll, I'll mix in a running back. Um, so that's kind of how, you know, that's kind of how I go about things. Yeah. And it's funny too, like you get fatigued, not just like by position, but also like level of player. You know, you do the, a lot of the seniors and it's like, oh, this guy's early day three or late day two. I said this earlier, yeah. uh, studying the, the safety out of Brian Branch. I said that's a Dane earlier this week. And I was like, you know what? I just watched like so many like mid-round guys over the course of a couple of weeks. I was like, you know what? Let's just go. Let me just plug in this blue chip guy that I know people are talking about as a top 20 type player just to give yeah. me a little bit of juice. And, and Brian Branch came through uh, from that. Yeah. Standpoint. And you want to uh, also make sure that you're not like, okay, am I seeing these guys? guys am yeah. i am i seeing these guys correctly also you know for the offensive line standpoint one of the guys to get back to your question you just asked i think matthew bergeron the tackle mm. from from syracuse deserves a little more attention um i've got a first shot caliber grade on him nice. i don't know if he goes in the first i think he's probably more guard than a tackle and he's got some real issues with pass pro that he's gonna have to work on but man his run blocking is just terrific his technique is really, really good. It's consistent. I love the hands. I love the feet. I like the body type. I like the demeanor. There's a lot of things I like about him. And I think, you know, sometimes um, I, I think sometimes if a guy doesn't have a the top name headed in, a lot of people won't spend time with them. But yep. when you watch a guy who does things the right way, their technique is good or they are really consistent on a regular basis, it just it stands out because a lot of these guys are not technically sound. Now, when you give a draft grade, you have to project that they're going to have more coaching and they got a chance to get the technique right. So you have to – that's why the traits are so important. What happens if the, the coaching catch up with the technique? But I think Matthew Bergeron from uh, uh, from from Syracuse, their left tackle, I think he's got a chance to be a really good run blocking guard. Like I, I remember watching his run blocking thinking, man, this is like what I saw from Zach Martin when he was at Notre Dame from a run blocking blocking standpoint. Wow. And I typically look run blocking first and pass pro second. I flipped on the pass pro stuff and it was bumpy and it was bumpy. So there's some, but that's why I think a move inside the guard would, would really benefit him and, and, and help him out. But I think he and John, um, John Michael Schmitz, yes, yeah, center from man. To me, you could plug and play him in Philadelphia. Kelsey gone, Schmitz in, and you don't even. I mean, I don't want to say you don't miss a beat, but that guy is born to play zone scheme center. So I think that uh, you know he's the kind of guy that that I, I finished writing him up a couple of days ago. Man, you just you plug him in, and he's ready to go early on.
I loved uh, John Michael Schmitz over the summer doing him from last year, so I'm excited to dig into the tape um, from this fall. Uh, has there been a guy, maybe not an offensive lineman, but any other position that has just kind of outperformed where you're like, man, like I don't know what I was expecting going in, but uh, this guy kind of yeah. just blew me away. Yeah, Luke Musgrave, uh, tight nice. end from Oregon yep. State. Holy cats. Uh, I watched Dalton Kincaid, and I loved him. I loved Dalton yep. Kincaid. Then I turned on Musgrave's tape, and I said, this is this is – this is Dalton Kincaid, but a better blocker. Mm. Um, Luke Musgrave, for those who don't know, he just played two years or two games this year. He really hasn't played a ton of football. He had, uh, you know, he had COVID knocked out some of the years. I believe he had an injury in one other year. And then this year he had, uh, you know, he had the injury. I don't know if he had an injury previous year. I can't remember. But this year he he ended up, uh, was it a knee, Fran? He, he's out after the second game of the year, Fresno yeah. State game. He had two monster games his first two games of the year. His background is that he was a championship slalom skier when he was young. Yep. And it's funny because you can see that in his routes. He's just got these he's got these hips and feet that allow him to to smoothly, you know, change direction around route redirections, around the field after the catch, getting into routes. And I, I just was extraordinarily impressed. His hands were great. He's fast. He's a he's a willing blocker, which you have to be at Oregon State. I thought Dalton Kincaid. I gave him a six, uh, not Dalton Kincaid, but uh, Luke Musgrave. I know he played two games this year, but I gave him a sixty-seven, which for me is you know that's like a mid-first round type of grade. Now, do wow. I think he's going to get drafted there? I don't know, but I think the talent. You know, I'm trying to project what he's going to be, and I think he's going to be one of these guys who in, what what it is is he has Pro Bowl potential is mm. what a six point seven is and should be an early starter, and I think he's going to be. This is a really good tight end draft, uh, really good tight end draft. Kincaid, uh, Mayer from from Notre Dame, lived up to the hype when I watched sure. him. I I thought, okay, well he's gonna be he's gonna be okay, but I because I, I saw him run some routes, I thought he's okay. You watch him block, man, he gets after it. He's a nice pass catcher. He's a plus run blocker, and uh, so Meyer is is that guy from Notre Dame. Dalton Kincaid, really good pass catcher from Utah. Uh, Musgrave. Tucker Craft from, San Diego, from, yep, from sure. South Dakota State. I mean, it's going to be a good year for tight ends this year. A really good one. Yeah, it's it's been a while talking about Musgrave. It's been a while since we've seen a player that has the uh, the the skiing background, like at the top of the bio. And I'm trying to remember a guy. Uh, maybe it might be Jeremy Bloom uh, for our Eagles Eagles fan listeners. Uh, yeah. going back into the mid 2000s, uh, coming out of Colorado. Uh, a lot yeah. of Eagles fans. Speaking of which, uh, Lance. A lot of Eagles fans are very interested in the Jalen Carter versus Will Anderson debate. Uh, I don't know how much you've done on both guys, um, but two of the blue chip players in this class, if both of them enter, it seems like reportedly Jalen Carter will enter. Uh, will Anderson's still waiting, but it does seem like both these guys are going to be in this group. Uh, what do you think about the two guys? How do you stack them against each other in a vacuum? I need to watch more. Um, I spent a little bit of time on Will Anderson early on, and then you know I watched the interior lineman from Alabama. I'm waiting on... Will he'll he'll probably be written up over the next two weeks. Yeah. I really don't need anything else on Will Anderson, but um, I think you know anytime you have a potentially dominant, disruptive interior player that might carry the most value. Watching JJ Watt when, in his early years playing inside, watching yeah. obviously uh, Donald from the Rams. If you have a disruptive player, now you need to have a disruptive rush, I think also. But if you have a disruptive player along the interior who has really good strength and power and explosive power, 
that that has a way to really wreck what offenses want to do. It makes them alter their blocking schemes, makes them alter their play calling from time to time. So, you know, anytime you have that, you have to take a close look at it. I think Will Anderson has had some up and down moments this year. I was expecting more dominant play. Didn't love him against University of Texas. Uh, bad game against Texas. I mean, you know, the penalties were really bad. Didn't have as much pressure as I was hoping for. Didn't have as much pressure against Tennessee, but some of that you wonder if it was kind of a muddle rush situation trying to keep Hendon Hooker in the pocket. I think Will Anderson's best football is uh, – Will. yeah, I think Anderson's best football is in front of him. Um, and anytime you get a great pass rusher, it's usually the pass rusher that is going to get the check mark. But I tell you, with Carter, now with the Eagles having Jordan Davis, I don't know, maybe that changes things and you say, we've got a guy in the middle, we're going to be fine. We, we don't need to have two. But if you do have two, somebody's getting singled. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Somebody's getting singled, and you just need to go find a rusher that has the athleticism just to to make it tough on a tackle with two way goes. So, yep. um, I, I need to get dig deeper in before I get to a grade. But I can just tell you from watching a little bit on tape and a lot on television, Carter's a guy who can potentially, especially if he's plugged next to Davis it really turns into a nightmare for for teams because you got a single block one of them. Yeah, for a tease for later on in the show, uh, Todd McShay has Jalen Carter going ahead of Will Anderson uh, in his latest mock draft. Both guys are awesome. I mean, to hear you say Will Anderson's best football might be ahead of him after last year as a sophomore having 100 tackles and 17 and a half sacks in the SEC. That was an just, incredible just year. Just ridiculous. Like, that was an incredible production. year. I, I think his best football meaning – you know, he's going to play at a consistent level. For sure. me, you know, it's funny for a lot of these guys, they get their numbers against guys who are inferior competition hmm. or they get their numbers inside of a scheme with really talented players around them. What can you do independent of the guys around you? Yep. Because all these guys, well, whoever gets drafted to the Eagles, it's one of those fluke situations where the Eagles are smart to trade back. They're going to go to a great team. But most of the teams they're going to go to, not great teams and sometimes not great talent uh, next to them. So they've got to work independently, you know, to, to, to garner the production that they did in college. But Anderson, you know, he's got a Dallas Turner on the other side. 15 is going to be a, a guy we're talking about a lot yeah. next year, but Will Anderson, I think uh, it's, it's always interesting to see the year before you're draft eligible. A lot of times are the biggest years because the yeah. very next year, there's so much attention that's being paid, not just pressure on them, but offenses are really paying attention to how they're blocking them. And everybody also on the outside is just looking for a reason to, to knock you down a peg as well. And so that always yeah. uh, occurs with all these prospects up at the top of the draft. Last question for you, Lance. Uh, anyone in particular, bowl season kicking off here this weekend uh, that you've got your eyes on? Oregon State, I know, is taking on Florida. No Musgrave because of that injury. But uh, any other players uh, throughout the course of this weekend you're excited to see? Um, I would say, hmm. Is 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 Richardson playing for Florida? He's out, no, right? He he opted out. Rasheed Rice from SMU, he opted out. Um yeah, there are about I've half of the big him names. Already. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Give me give me some games. I, I had it before we came on and I forgot it's a it's a smaller game. Oh, who's playing North Texas? Uh North Texas is playing um here, I got it right here. It's uh North Texas is playing UConn. Monday that's a Monday game, I believe. No, no, it's North, not no North Texas taking place playing Boise in the Frisco Bowl. Oh, I want to see Skinner. Jail um, Skinner, yeah. I really want to watch. I want to watch Jail Skinner. He, I wrote him up just the other day, and it's funny. The more I watched, the more I started to like on Skinner. 
I want to watch and see how he feels in consecutive. You know, when you're watching tape, sometimes I'm watching targets. Sometimes I'm watching tackles. I'm watching missed tackles. I want to see him in the flow of every three downs, every four downs to see yeah. the, his impact and and how it does he feel like he's commanding a game because he's a really interesting player. Six four two twenty is what he's listed at six four two eighteen, but just this really thin lower body. His legs look skinny, but he hits like he's a big guy. Like he'll come up and really hit you. So I want to see what he feels like in the game. Does he feel like he's he has control in the game and he's really putting his stamp on a game? That's that's what I want to see from Gerald Skinner. Yeah, that's the thing with him is like I feel like at that position in particular, you there. I have a thing with guys that are high variance where it's like you're kind of riding the wave. I don't know if I want that at safety. I would rather have a guy that's like rock solid. Skinner can create the big play, but he'll also have so, some miscues at times, um, at least based off the the, state, the tape I did in the summer. I'm excited to do a little bit more uh, here from this year. So, uh, Lance, this has been awesome. You were great with your time. Really appreciate it. I'll let you get back to the grind here in the middle of Wednesday afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us here on Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, time to continue things here with Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Ben Fennel, And we've got more news uh, to get through here, Ben. We've got a bunch of underclassmen that have declared for the 2023 NFL Draft. We'll start at running back Auburn's Tank Bigsby, who burst onto the scene as a true freshman a couple of years ago. He's now entering the draft. Uh, there was a little bit of buzz about whether he was going to enter the portal again. Remember, he went into the portal last spring. Thoughts there, were, there were thoughts that he was going to leave Auburn. Ends up going back. Nearly did it again, but now he's coming out. Yeah, not quite the player he's been uh, since that prolific freshman season where he's a 2020 SEC Freshman of the Year. I have a Ryan Matthews, Marion Barber type of comp. Kind of a physical run-through, you put your face into you type of guy. I don't know how much juice he has or pass game uh, contributions. Really interested to see how he tests. Let's go to uh, the defensive line. A couple of big names here. Miles Murphy from Clemson, who we've talked about almost weekly here on the podcast. One of the more popular picks for the Eagles in mock drafts. He's being mocked anywhere from like number four all the way up through number 15, 16, 17, somewhere in that range. So we're talking about what is viewed by the media at this point as a consensus top 20 type pick. Uh, he is going to enter this draft as well as LSU's pass rusher, B.J. Ojolari. Yep, Miles Murphy, more of a heavy 4-3 edge, stout edge setter that's going to give you really stout play in yep. all three phases or all two phases, three-down player. Ojolari is a great first step, bendy, flexible edge rusher that's going to give most tackles uh, problems vertically, and they can win high side, really loose player. We'll have to see what he can do on early downs. And then uh, when we have Nick Herbig uh, from Wisconsin, a guy that could be an off-ball player, could be an edge player. What do you what do you think of Nick Herbig? I don't know, right up there at Leo Chanel and yep. Zach Baum and all those other hybrid, you know, uh, Wisconsin edge rushers, Sam's outside linebackers play a little bit off-ball, a little bit off the edge. Prolific pass rushers, but undersized. Where they play at the next level, I don't know. You don't know. The NFL doesn't know. I think these are guys that are definitely balls of clay right now. Eagles fans that are wondering, yes, this is uh, Nate Herbig's younger brother. He yep. did not go to Stanford. He ended up going to Wisconsin. Uh, let's go to the Pac-12. Utah corner Clark Phillips III. You and I uh, broke him down together back in the summer. We've talked about him throughout the course of the fall. Good player entering this draft. Yeah, he's kind of this year's like Roger McCreary. You know, a really good player, productive player, experienced player. Just may not have the size thresholds a lot of teams want with his length. He's about 5'11", I don't know, 185 pounds, 190 maybe. Uh, not the longest corner as he's 6'2", 200-pound press corners are seemingly all over the place different strokes for different folks some teams will like them some teams won't 
uh, a forgotten player in a lot of mock drafts, I feel like, uh, as the season has progressed. Texas A&M safety Antonio Johnson. Earlier this week, I broke down Brian Branch, the safety from Alabama. Honestly, I feel Johnson checks a lot of those same boxes as Branch does because he does it in a bigger frame. He's like 6'3", he's over 200 pounds, whereas Branch is a little bit uh, leaner. He's built more like a corner. Uh, I know you're high on Johnson as well and what his ceiling could be in the NFL. One of the more impressive height, weight, speed specimens. Get ready to uh, really dig into him in the spring. He's going to be a jumper. He's going to be a, a timer, you know, as far as running linear speed. He's an explosive player. He's a fluid player. can play a bunch of different spots. And it's a sub-package world in the NFL. Antonio Johnson fits what you're looking for. All right, let's get to some senior bowl acceptances here. We've got uh, from the tight end position, Oklahoma's Braden Willis. What can you tell us about Willis? So Braden Willis, about uh, 6024244, kind of an H-back, move tight end, fullback. 35 catches this year. Had 35 catches the previous four years. So he's definitely called up into action as a full-time starter on the offense. He was more of a rotational role player previously, but seven touchdowns really showed what he could do in the pass game. This is a Tommy Tryhard, kind of tough guy, move blocker, can do a lot of things on the move, uh, can block on the perimeter, can lead block for you. Also, 830 special team snaps in his career. Hmm. Really athletic player, good-looking kid as well. Uh, interested to see what he does in Mobile. He's a guy that could be you know, doing some tight end stuff, could be doing some running back stuff, could be doing some receiver stuff too. So I think he's a ball clay, but really interesting prospect. Let's go to the offensive line. A couple of SEC players here. One uh, that I have not done yet, and that's Florida tackle. Uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong on the pronunciation because I haven't done him yet. Uh, Richard Garage, uh, I believe, the tackle uh, from the Gators. And then Tennessee's Darnell Wright, big-bodied offensive line. Well, let's talk about both these guys together because they're both offensive tackles but have uh, much different packages and much different careers. So uh, the Florida kid, 604-4308. Kind of an undersized tackle, but three-and-a-half-year starter. Went from left guard to left tackle. Darnell Darnell Wright, the other way. He's 6051, 347, 40 pounds heavier than the Florida kid. So a much bigger player. Interesting that he has pretty small hands, though, for being 347, eight and a half inch hands. But also a three and a half year starter. Went from right tackle to left tackle in 2021, back to right tackle. And he's one of the darlings of the draft community right now. Violent player, massive player, easy mover, loves to use his hands, wants to punch you through the roof. Really fun player out there at Tennessee. Darnell Wright might be a top 50 player when it's all said and done. Love it. Well, let's get over to the defensive side of the football. Ohio State defensive end Zach Harrison. Uh, he has accepted his invitation to Mobile. He will once again be going to the senior. Impressive ball. player. Super long, 6056, 255 with 35 inch arms, nearly 36 inch arms, and nearly 30, or excuse me, nearly an 87 inch wingspan. Ran a 10 700 meter in high school, 447 in high school, four, a 40 yard dash. He's going to be a darling tester. Just has always left you a little bit wanting more as far as uh, production on the field. He's not some quarterback killer with a bag of pass rush moves. He's a three-down player, wins with effort, wins with being stout at the point of attack, wins with chase and second reaction. Doesn't do anything really technical or anything quick. He reminds me a lot of the way Bradley Chubb played at NC State mm. and the way Bradley Chubb played with the Broncos now at the Dolphins. You know, he's a stout player. He's long. He's strong. He's a three-down player. Not super twitchy, not super loose, not super flexible, but a smart, reliable football player. Let's see where it gets him drafted. Last one here. Oregon State, oversized corner, Rajon Wright. Uh, what can you tell us about Wright? Because uh, he is very much off the radar. Yep, just under 6'2", 195, long arms. Younger brother, Deshaun Wright, third-round pick of the Cowboys two years ago. Remember that name, Last Chance U. Uh, he was from that program in Los Angeles, yep. went up to Oregon State. Two things with this kid. PBUs and penalties. How does that happen? Competitive, competitive, competitive. He wants to grab you, fight you in the route stem, beat you up at the catch point. 
Sometimes those are penalties. Sometimes those are PBUs. Those guys tend to stick in the NFL, though. You got to have guys that are tough and physical first, and then let's dial it back a little bit and clean up the technique. He has the tools to play on Sundays. All right, let's now transition into bowl season here, Ben. Uh, we've got uh, our first slate of games. It starts on Friday afternoon. We'll get into uh, some of these Saturday matchups, though. Let this podcast breathe a little bit, and we'll start with the Fenway Bowl. Finally happened. This is the <laughs> third year that this game is supposed to happen. Got canceled each of the last two seasons, one because of weather, one because of COVID. Uh, let's talk through Cincinnati versus Louisville. Uh, we're going to break this game down in the next segment as well with Ross. But what the question is going to be with all of these games what is one reason to watch? What is the number one thing you are most excited to see from the from these games? We'll start again, Cincinnati, Louisville. Yeah, this is going to be a fun game. This is a big game for recruiting bloodlines, too, as Ohio, Kentucky loves to fight over high school prospects there. So I think there's a couple of recruits that might have their eyes on this one. But unfortunately, opting out Trey Tucker, the speedy receiver, opting out Leonard Taylor, the really interesting tight end from Cincinnati. So let's go to the Louisville side. Yaya Diaby heading the Senior Bowl. He's a really interesting edge rusher. Plays some off the edge, some four, some four eyes, some three tech on the inside. He is explosive. He is wide hipped. He's kind of like the way a Emmanuel Agba played Oklahoma State. Hmm. Linearly explosive, will hunt you down. Really strong, getting off the ball. Um, really productive player, too. I expect him to be in backfields all day. I was going to ask, so you, you view him as a edge guy, not an interior guy? I think he's going to play off the edge and be kind of a, a heavy outside linebacking type. Uh, maybe can come in and play some three-tech and oh, yeah. some sub-packages. Uh, I'm going to go Ivan Pace Jr., uh, the undersized linebacker for Cincinnati. Uh, this guy is a ball magnet, was extremely productive, made a bunch of big plays this year for the Bearcats. He's heading to the Shrine Bowl. That was actually just announced. Uh, so that's a player to, to keep an eye on there. Ivan Pace Jr., really, really active player. Uh, I think you and I, I, th- I think we, we broke him down. This was a couple months ago. This was back in like early October. And I, I said he kind of reminded me a little bit of Malcolm Rodriguez uh, from a play style standpoint, body type standpoint. Uh, Rodriguez making a lot of plays as a rookie this year for the Detroit Lions, an off-ball linebacker. Let's now go to the Las Vegas Bowl. Florida versus Oregon State. Florida's got a bunch of opt-outs as well here, Ben, but what's the number one thing you're looking for in this game? Well, there's always some Philly bloodlines in these bowl games, so let's highlight one of them. Omar Spates at Oregon State, absolute tackling machine the past three years out there. He's from Imatep uh, for his first three years of high school, and I think finished out West for his senior year, but he's a Philly kid at heart. Shows up on the film. Mm. This kid's nasty. He's a little violent at the tackling point. He's still deciding. He might go back for another season. He's a really fun player. Expect him to be out there and in the face of Florida running backs all day. Best player on the field is going to be the Florida nose tackle, Javon Dexter. No question. Uh, he, did, he is playing in this game. We're going to talk about him in the next segment with Ross as well, but we broke Javon Dexter down earlier this week with Dane Brugler. You can get my thoughts uh, on Dexter in that episode. Uh, the uh, and, and and even though, you know, Oregon State's out there out west and going against an SEC team, Oregon State's got a heck of an offensive line, yep. heck of a run game. This is a Joe Moore finalist uh, unit last season. A lot of those guys are back. I think they returned four out of the five starters, so really well-built O-line. So a guy like Gervon Dexter may be the best player. He's going to have his hands full. It's a good matchup. Let's go to the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. Washington <laughs> State versus Ridiculous Fresno name. State. Um, I, like, I like this battle. These two quarterbacks, we'll talk about that. Jay Kaner certainly a guy to watch, but what's the number one guy for you? Well, Fresno State's got a really interesting edge rusher in David Perales. He's a Mountain West sack leader. Back-to-back seasons of 40 QB pressures and 10 sacks. Really impressive. Not to mention nine forced fumbles the last two seasons. Mm. Those stats alone should perk your ears up and say, let me watch this kid. I haven't watched a whole lot of him. He's on my radar. I'll get to him when I get to him. And out at corner, Cam Lockridge, six foot, one eighty three, went from JUCO to Hawaii. He's nephew of Ken Griffey. He's from Tampa Ooh. Bay. I love my corners from Florida out Ken there. Junior or senior? Uh, 
Uh, well, he's grandson of senior, okay. nephew of junior. Okay, so he's it, the it, son it. of Ken Griffey's brother or sister. Uh, they, he's from Robinson High School down there in the Tampa area. I remember Byron Pringles from mm -hmm. there as well. He's got five picks this season. He's got a career completion rate of under 50%. This is a really sticky man coverage corner that gets his hands on a lot of footballs with some good bloodlines. And from Florida, check, 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 check. Put him on your list. Watch him uh, in this bowl game. Let's see how he handles the Pac-12 receivers of Washington State. New Mexico Bowl. We've got SMU versus BYU. I know SMU star receiver Rasheed Rice opted out of this yeah, game. Yeah, tough one. Uh, but uh, what's the number one thing you're excited to see? Everyone watch this BYU O-line. Connor Pay at center, Clark Barrington at guard, Kingley Sumatia at right tackle. is the Oregon transfer. It was the five-star that everybody wanted. That offensive line moves people. Blake Freeland's heading in the Senior Bowl. Yep. A lot of attention on him. Thought whole unit can play on Sunday. So uh, the kid at right tackle, I think, is the most impressive. Only a redshirt freshman, though. But look out for him to maybe pancake a couple SMU defenders. As of this recording, uh, the quarterback for BYU, Jaron Hall, still in question of yeah. whether or not he's going to play or not. Uh, he's played plenty of football for them, so he might say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to bow this one out. But uh, he also could be waiting on the All-Star game and figure out where he's, he's going. He's a darling of the draft community. There's yeah. some people that really like him or are wondering why yep. he's not getting more love. Uh, he's kind of mobile. He's got a strong arm. He's got good numbers. He's an experienced kid. He's mature. He checks a lot of boxes you want. Monday night, or Monday afternoon, I should say, the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Marshall, UConn, number one we're using to watch. Well, UConn's got an interesting linebacker in Jackson Mitchell, but on the other side, Marshall, Stephon Gilmore's younger brother, Stephen Gilmore, just in a slightly different package. He's about 5'9", 175. He's not the six-foot, 200-pound corner that Gilmore was coming out of South Carolina. This kid's a 4'4 corner. Listen to these uh, productions and stat lines, though. Four-year starter, over 3,000 snaps played. He's been targeted in coverage 265 times in his career. Mm. If you're someone that thinks playing corner is a learn-on-the-job position, as I do, this kid's got experience. He's coming with a lot of football being played, nine picks in his career, 21 PBUs, 20 penalties because he's a little feisty and competitive at the catch point, gets there a little early, a little grabby at times. It's only 5'9", 175. Probably projecting to play some nickel, but I've seen some guys hang on the outside like that. So if he's got the right mentality and he checks the boxes with his length and the speed, he could play on Sundays, just in a slightly different package than his uh, older brother. More big news here from an NFL draft standpoint. We've got a new mock draft from Todd McShay, uh, one of the, the preeminent voices in the draft space. And we're going to break that one down here for our mock draft roundup. Top five. Very interesting here, Ben. We've got we, what do we always say? The top four are going to be the two quarterbacks and the two D linemen. That's how this one goes. Houston at number one, taking Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. Seattle taking Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia. At number three, the Chicago Bears selecting Will Anderson, the pass rusher from Alabama. At number four, Detroit taking quarterback C.J. Stroud. At number five, Philadelphia Eagles. Who's the who's who's all the players on the board? Who they're going to take? According to Todd, running back B. John Robinson from the University of Texas. Here is the blurb from Todd. It's a lengthy one. This is a serious luxury pick for the 12-win Eagles after landing the selection from the Saints last offseason. Per ESPN Stats and Info, the last time a team went to a Super Bowl and then had a top-five draft pick was 1992 when Washington won the championship and then drafted Desmond Howard fourth overall via trade-up. I considered Clemson defensive tackle Brian Brezzi here because Howie Roseman values the interior defensive line and pairing Brezzi with Jordan Davis 
Columbus up the middle would give Philadelphia quite the run-stopping duo. However, Miles Sanders is set to be a free agent. This offense leans heavily on the run, and Robinson is a special prospect with elite size, speed, power, and elusiveness. I know the it's too early for a running back arguments are coming, and I agree 99% of the time, but why spend heavily on re-signing Sanders or bringing in another back in free agency when Robinson, who is an upgrade, is available here on a rookie deal? Robinson cruised to 1,580 yards and 18 touchdowns on the ground this season while breaking 91 tackles. Dropping him into the league's best offense would be scary for every other team. Philly also has another first-rounder down the board. So, Ben, Bijan has been a popular Eagles pick, uh, but that typically has been with their own first-round pick or if when the Saints were in the middle of round one. We have not seen a, team, or a mock drafter go with uh, Bijan Robinson if that pick is in the top five, six, seven. So, uh I don't know. Thoughts on Bijan uh, this high, the Eagles. I just want listeners to understand this is not out of the question. And you may be thinking, top 10 running back, oh, there's no way. That's not where the NFL values it. We don't have to go that back that far to see Saquon going two and Zeke going four and Christian McCaffrey, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, all those guys going in the top 10, you know, within the last seven, eight years. Yep. So it's not like this new trend of, oh, you can't take first-round running backs for X, Y, Z reason. We've seen top 10 selected running backs. If the team feels that way about Bijan Robinson, he's a heck of a prospect. This is not out of the question. If he runs 4-3-8 and everyone starts sitting up in their chair and looking at the production and saying, well, Philly's going to run the ball and you know maybe things happen where they, they lose a Miles Sanders in free agency and X, Y, and Z, this is not out of the question. So I know some people have some feelings about positional value and top 10 picks and the rookie wage scale based on certain positions. All that's going to be in play here. If you think this is a good player and that's that's where you want to go with the fifth overall pick and a team that has multiple first round picks and is sitting here 12 and one ready to contribute and ready to contend again next season. Bijan Robinson is absolutely in the conversation. All right, well, let's round out the top 10 here from Todd. At number six, the Atlanta Falcons selecting Kentucky quarterback Will Levis. The Colts at number seven taking left tackle Peter, Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern. The Raiders at number eight overall taking Texas Tech defensive end Tyree Wilson. At nine, the Pittsburgh Steelers selecting Ohio State left tackle Paris Johnson Jr. And then at number 10, the Arizona Cardinals selecting Clemson defensive lineman Brian Brezzi. So, Ben, looking at the top 10 here from Todd, it doesn't have to be a player or a pick or it could be anything. What's your number one takeaway? What stands out most to you from this top 10? It would have to be Bijan going in the top 10 yeah. there. I think that's the the ebb and the flow of, you know, the mocks and the consensus we've seen lately. I haven't seen a lot of Bijan going in the top 10, but I think it's absolutely appropriate. I think it's going to be at the conversation for the next few months. And I think he is a worthy top 10 running back. He is a really, really good player. Just haven't seen it. And I like the, uh, the conviction from Todd to, to plug him into a team where checks a lot of boxes. And that makes sense in my opinion. It is tough trying to find a spot for Bijan Robinson in a round one mock draft. If you're going to go through the exercise. So, um, you know, some people, it's going to be a hard choice, no matter where you try and slide him. If you're doing one for all 32 teams, uh, my big takeaway, no miles Murphy. And again, we mentioned earlier, we've seen him in a lot of top 10, uh, mock drafts. He's got him way down in the middle of the round here, uh, in this mock. So I, I think that's just a, an, uh, an interesting nugget uh, to take away from this mock draft. Speaking of pass rushers, that is where the Eagles go with Todd's uh, second first-round pick for the Eagles. It comes at number 31 overall. The selection is Notre Dame edge rusher Isaiah Foskey. Let's go to the blurb from Todd. ESPN's FPI has the Eagles winning the Super Bowl in this projection and closing out day one of the draft. After getting Bijan Robinson earlier, Philly would likely pivot to the defensive side of the football. Brandon Graham is in the last year of his deal. Derek Barnett tore his ACL in September, and Robert Quinn is just a rental after coming to town at the trade deadline. So while the Eagles lead the NFL in sacks, they will still be looking for pass rush help. Op 
opposite Josh Sweat after the season. Foskey uses his great initial burst to put tackles on their heels, and he had 11 sacks in each of the past two seasons. Other spots for the projected champs to consider would be the secondary and linebacker. So, Ben, uh, Foskey's one of the more highly debated players in this first round. Depending on who you talk to, you'll get a wide range of opinions. The metrics and the win rate numbers on Foskey, pretty unimpressive, but... Someone else who had unimpressive win rate numbers last year, Jordan Davis, and the Eagles <laughs> traded up for him in the top 15. So Foskey, I don't think, is out of the question if you're talking about potential Eagles down the road. Yeah, this is a really good football player. Maybe he doesn't have the the, the natural twitch or that first step you covet in you know, high side pass rushers that you want getting quarterbacks and doing nothing else. But this is a three-down player that can play a variety of positions. We've seen this guy play Will Linebacker at times. You know, He's played off the ball. He's played uh, detached from the formation. He's played snug defensive end. He's played on the inside. This guy is a really interesting ball of clay, really interesting athlete, really good movement patterns. I think fits a Jonathan Gannon scheme that really asks a lot out of their defensive ends. So he's a guy I think will play kind of stand up, play with his hand down, can play walk around. I think he's a great chess piece for the scheme here and can do a lot of different things. So the five guys that went before Isaiah Foskey here at 26, the Bengals taking Illinois corner Devin Witherspoon. Mm -hmm. At 27, the Minnesota Vikings taking Boston College wide receiver Zay Flowers. At 28, the Buffalo Bills selecting Texas A&M safety Antonio Johnson. At 29, the Dallas Cowboys selecting Iowa defensive end Lucas Van Ness. And then at number 30, the Kansas City Chiefs going with another pass rusher, Jared Verse from Florida State. Ben, of those five, uh, which one do you like most? I love seeing Zay Flowers go to the Minnesota Vikings. We have not seen that in any mock draft. No, Zay Flowers is high. I think particularly, I think that's a good fit for their offense. Yep. A pair with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. They need a third receiver out there, particularly a yak threat and a big a play juice, threat. Yeah. So I think a guy that can capitalize off play action, give those two stud receivers a little bit of flexibility, give Kirk Cousins a little easy playmaking with just getting in his hands, maybe some end around jet sweeps, some gadget rolls like that. My other note really fast, how about Keely Ringo going after Christian Gonzalez after Joey Porter Jr. I see a bunch of corners in this first round, Cam Smith, Clark Phillips. Collectively, Fran, bump them all up. I think they're all going to get pushed up into the more of the teens right around number 10. We see it every year. Those cornerbacks are going to fly off the board. They're height, weight, speed freaks. Usually, you got to go get them. Usually, they fly up boards right after the quarterbacks fly up boards. That's a really good point. Um, real quick for me, Antonio Johnson at 28. It's like I said earlier, I just feel like he's been a, a forgotten man in mock drafts, so good to see Todd uh, squeeze him in there uh, in the back end of round one. Favorite pick overall from this mock draft? Ben, for me, Jackson Smith and Jigba at 22 to the Tennessee Titans. They, yep. they go back-to-back -back wide receiver in round one after taking uh, – after taking. Um, uh, why can't I think of the kid's name from Arkansas? Traylon Burks. Trey, Trey, Trey Burks. Well, yes, exactly <laughs> right. Trey Burks uh, last year. Really good pairing, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Vrabel has those inroads at Ohio State. Uh, who knows better uh, than what he could bring to the table? I was actually about to say Darnell Washington, as we've seen that mock so many times. Yeah, right. I was about to say, oh, you're pairing him with Darnell Washington. Oh, wait, that's a different mock yeah. draft. But I was saving that cornerback conversation. I love seeing Penn State cornerback Joey Porter Jr. go 16th overall to the Detroit Lions. That's becoming a very chic pick. We're yes. seeing that a lot now. I think Okuda is really kind of growing this season. I think the defense is settling down. Kirby Joseph out there. They're getting better players in that defensive front seven. We know the offense is uh, really impressive this year. Ben Johnson and Jared Goff need to get tougher corner opposite Akuda. Joey Porter Jr. maybe as good a run defender and a physical corner as he is a competitive cover corner. He's a guy that's really, really going to fit the Dan Campbell mold or potentially uh, whoever's running that show next year. Most shocking pick 
from this mock draft? I would say Denver Broncos going running back Jameer Gibbs 24. Not that I don't like Jameer Gibbs. This Broncos team needs O-line help. They need some defensive playmakers. I know they play really well as a unit, but it's getting a lot of that done with some no names just to kind of blanket it. You know, trade away Von Miller, trade away Bradley Chubb, Patrick Sertan and Kareem, or excuse me, Justin Simmons are really nice players. They need some. They need some star power. They need some freaks on that uh, on that front seven. So they need a quarterback hunter. They need some interior help, but offensive line help. Go get Russell Wilson some offensive line help. Get him a center. Get him a right tackle of the future. I like Jameer Gibbs. You're gonna have uh, you know Javante Williams back, back there. Yep. Yeah, you're gonna have some. Uh, it's a serious knee injury. So yeah, you don't want to be putting all your eggs in that basket. I like Gibbs in any offense. You're gonna be a good player. I just am thinking Russell Wilson long term O line. Yeah, like I said, you don't want to like put all the eggs in the Williams basket, but that does yeah. affect the calculus with it taking, yeah. especially taking a running back that high uh, with what that could mean. Um, for me, Osiris Torrance at 17. That's very yeah. very high. That's the first time I think we've seen him in the top uh, 18 uh, of a. And don't love 20. him in that Michael Force system that they use a lot of outside zone, a yeah, lot of play too. action boot. They ask a lot of those offensive linemen. Then again, they have Lincoln Tomlinson in there right now. A lot of people wouldn't think he's a zone you know, type of guard either, more of a people-moving power guard. I think uh, Herbig at right guard has been an interesting addition. Certainly fixing some of those O-line spots as the, the Jets' season on the O-line has not gone as planned. So I could see him going O-line. Osiris Torrance would be a surprise to me too. It's a good call. Uh, it was something that we'll keep an eye on here uh, moving forward. Ben, great stuff as always. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, back again for Pick 6 is Ross Tucker, my friend, who, again, we'll give a little bit of a refresher here because we didn't have any games to break down this past week. We did not go into the the Army-Navy game here, Ross. But uh, before that, in conference championship weekend, you were able to uh, get a four-point swing, and you now have a one-point lead as we now go into bowl season. We'll see if I can catch you, and we'll start uh, with this weekend slate of games uh, going through all the way up through Monday. So, We'll start with Pickums, and these Pickums are worth two points. We'll start with the Fenway Bowl. They're finally playing this game for the first time in three years. It got canceled due to weather the one year. I believe there was like a blizzard up in uh, New England at the time, and then uh, COVID was uh, knocked it out. I believe it was Virginia Tech last year. They could not play in the game because their roster just got decimated uh, by Omicron. But uh, Louisville against Cincinnati, and there's a lot of layers to this one, Ross. Who do you like here in this one, Bearcats or Cardinals? Boy, there's a lot of layers in this one. Um Malik Cunningham is not playing, correct? He is he is out, correct. Okay. Yeah, I'm taking Cincinnati. That guy's <laughs> by far the dynamic kid for Louisville. Plus, it's going to be cold. I think there's a better chance the kids from Cincinnati are okay with that than the kids from Louisville. A lot of the Louisville kids are from down south, even though they're not that far away. I've I've seen their rosters. A lot of Louisville kids are from down south. Cincinnati, a lot more Midwest kids. Mm. Give me the Bearcats to get it done. Um, and they stole their coach. That's the only thing. Louisville has some motivation there with their coach leaving Louisville to go to Cincinnati. But give me the Bearcats. Yeah, and that's why ultimately I ended up going Cincinnati as well. Um, Scott Satterfield leaving Louisville to go to Cincinnati. Uh, that certainly gives the, the Cardinals some some motivation, but it also gives the Bearcats some intel uh, on that team as well. So I, I will take Cincinnati here in this game. A lot of the reasons uh, that you mentioned, uh, I will side with as well. Let's now go to the New Mexico Bowl. It's an interesting one here, Ross. SMU against BYU. Who do you like here in this game? I'm going to go SMU. Um, could have gone either way on this one, but I'll go SMU. Um, I like their quarterback, Mordecai. I actually like both quarterbacks in this game, and it feels like BYU is usually pretty darn good 
in this bowl. They play in the New Mexico Bowl like every year. But I'll go SMU with the season they've had, and, and I like Mordecai. Yeah, I, I thought about going SMU. Uh, Mordecai's had a good year. Uh, they've got some good players on on both sides, but obviously on offense. No Rasheed Rice, though. No star, no, no none of the uh, the star senior wide receiver, Rasheed Weiss. I think this BYU defense uh, will have the ability to make some plays. Give me BYU. Uh, I, I will take uh, the, uh, the, the Mormons here uh, in this game over SMU. Um, let's go down to our over-under. Now, this is worth, worth one point here, and we're going to go to the, uh, the Las Vegas Bowl, a player we talked about earlier in the show, Javon Dexter, uh, the star defensive tackle who already declared for the draft, but apparently is going to play in this game. Three and a half tackles I'm setting as the over-under here for Javon Dexter, who's been very disruptive. He's consistently around the football. Felt like three and a half was a good number for him. What do you think here against Oregon State? I'm going to go over, and I'm going to say that if he's playing in the bowl game, he's doing it to improve his stock. And so I'll go over... You know, sometimes these guys play and they play like not to get hurt. If that's the case, then you shouldn't play at all. So I'm hoping that he's going out there with the intention to improve his stock. And I think he gets four or five tackles. Yeah, I think a big part of that as well. Oregon State, a, a run game focused approach offensively. And I think that, that will uh, play into Dexter's hands. He'll have the opportunity there to be able to make some plays. This is, it's a favorable matchup um, from that standpoint, a good display game for Javon Dexter. Let's now go to our next one here. Another one pointer, an either or. And we're basically going to pit two players against each other in the same game. We're going to go to the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl and we're going to take a look at uh, Washington State going up against Fresno State. They've got two starting quarterbacks that have been very, very productive. Uh, Washington State with Cameron Ward and Fresno State with Jake Hayner. Who's got more passing yards in this game, Ross? This is a tough one. Kind of went back and forth on it a little bit. I'm going to go Hayner. He's been really good. He's just a really good player. I'll be curious to see what he looks like in the NFL. You know, you hear this all the time. It's probably because he's got the same number and he's the same size, but he does kind of remind me a little bit of Drew Brees. Like there's mm. something about the body type. He's not going to be as good as Drew Brees. Nobody is, but um, I'll go Hayner, but this was kind of a toss up. Yeah, this is a fun one to kind of think about. I'm going to go Cameron Ward uh, mainly because I need to I need to go separate from you. I need to catch you in some of these categories. But uh, Cameron Ward uh, has been super productive, transferred up from Incarnate Word uh, to to join Wazoo and has just been outstanding here for them this year. Uh, give me Washington State uh, and give me the the quarterback here, Cameron Ward, going up against the Bulldogs. Let's now go with another one pointer. Our last one here, a high low, and this one is going to be taking a look at UTSA. And their quarterback, Frank Harris, which if you remember listening to us last week, our listeners at home, you I asked you to name your top 10 players that you watched uh, this year in college football uh, and all the games you did. And one of the guys you mentioned, the last one you mentioned was Frank Harris, the starting quarterback for UTSA, who uh, is a sixth year senior who I believe is going back for his seventh year. Uh, so he's we're going to get another dose of Frank Harris uh, down there in San Antonio. But we're going to take a look at Frank Harris. Go at his total passing yards uh, in their bowl game on Friday, uh, going up against uh, Jalen Hurts' passing yards against the Chicago Bears. So just passing yards, Frank Harris against Jalen Hurts here in this game. Uh, I will say the push will go to Frank Harris. Who do you like here? Who's got more yards here, Ross? Uh, well, first of all, I like I like Frank Harris on the passing yards. It's unbelievable to me that he's going back for his seventh year. I wonder what the NIL money is like there. It's just a fascinating 
situation. Seven years. I mean, he could become a doctor by the time he's done there at UTSA. The Van, the Van Wilder plan. Exactly. Um, I think they're going to throw the ball a lot in that matchup with Troy. Troy's pretty good, pretty physical yep. up front. So I think UTSA is going to have to throw it a lot. And as for the Eagles, you know, I think Eberflus is going to be okay with the Eagles running the ball a little bit. I don't think he wants to get beat over the top or give up chunk plays in the passing game. So I don't think Hurts is going to have to pass for that many yards. So I'll take Frank Harris passing yards over Hurts. Uh, give me Jalen Hurts here in this one. Uh, I, I think that they will have that opportunity to be able to attack that young secondary. They've been beat up over the last couple of weeks. I know they're coming off the bye. Uh, but uh, looking at Frank Harris, this this matchup here, UTSA-Troy, the only game in the entire bowl season, Ross, featuring two conference champions. So uh, it'll be a big one here on Friday. It's the second game in the slate uh, taking place on Friday uh, late in the day. I think it's a 3.30 start time uh, there against Troy. Let's now go with our upset specials, Ross. We've got a couple options here for us. Who's your big upset for this game? Obviously, these are the eight-pointers, so this, this could be a huge swing one way or the other. I'm going with UConn. I'm going nice. with uh, Jim Mora and the UConn Huskies over Marshall. First bowl game in a long time for UConn. How awesome is that? It, it is awesome. I'm thrilled for those kids. Myrtle Beach, nice place to go. I think Marshall's the better team, but... We'll see. We'll see how motivated each other. I think UConn's very motivated to play well in the bowl game. And they played their best against good teams. I mean, they played their best against Fresno State and Boston College and Liberty. So give me the Huskies. Did you do any uh, UConn games this year? UConn Army, yes. They got beat pretty bad by Army, actually. Interesting, because I know that there's a linebacker there that uh, that, that seems to be uh, catching some love. We talked about him a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, it's just awesome, considering where that program was the last couple of years um, for Jim Mora to turn him around and get him into uh, the postseason in year one. Unbelievable. And they've got some good-looking guys. They've got a Eric Watts at the end, a really good-looking guy. They've got some kids. They've Randy Edsel recruited a lot of projects. Some of them didn't hit, but some of them did. Like it. All right, well, let's get to uh, the last or to my uh, my pick here for the upset special. I'm going to go North Texas over Boise State. This is in the, the, the Frisco Bowl. Very close by to North Texas. This is essentially a home game here for North Texas. Uh, both teams lost in their conference title games. I just like this UNT offense. Uh, so give me UNT here over Boise State. And so uh, we'll see if I'm able to, uh, you know, if I'm able to get you here, Ross. This should be a good one, though. Tight game going into bowl season. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun tracking this as we go through the uh, the rest of the winter. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Bowl season's fun. A lot of standalone games and now I know I need to root for Boise State and for UConn. <laughs> All right, so this week's draft mailbag entry comes from Maddie G28, who left a five-star review saying this podcast is a mainstay to the weekly podcast lineup. Matt, I appreciate that. And he said, I love that you had JL Skinner scattered in this past week's podcast. I love what I've seen out of him. But what do you see as negatives? And I can can I get your pros and cons to two more guys in the top 50, Emmanuel Forbes and Dewan Jones? Thank you, Fran. So, uh, Matt, it's a good question. I think when you look at Skinner, uh, look, he has got that body type uh, that a lot of people are looking for. Right? He's really tall, long, rangy, and he's got great 
athleticism. I love his ability to play sideline to sideline. At six foot four, 210 pounds, really impressive fluidity and top end speed for a guy that size. He's got man coverage ability out of the backfield. There's a lot to like there. I do think he can get a little bit better in, in the run game, his angles and his ability uh, to finish as a tackler. He can be a little bit sloppy with his technique at times. And tackling is very, very important at the safety spot. So uh, that's an area where I'd like to really see him get a little bit better. <clears throat> with Emmanuel Forbes, I want to do a little bit more work. And we talked about it earlier this week with Dane. So I don't want to speak, dive too deep into him because I haven't done the, the full deep dive. But Forbes has been a big play machine. I think when you look at uh, his ability to create on the football, that is going to catch a lot of people's eyes. But I do want to dive a little bit deeper into his film. I think when you look at Dewan Jones from Ohio State, uh, actually, literally just before we got we started recording here, uh, he just announced that he is going to the Senior Bowl. So we'll talk about him a little bit more in depth with Dane next week. But uh, Dewan Jones is a ginormous offensive lineman. He's got outstanding size for the position. Six foot eight, 370 pounds, huge hands, long arms, meat hooks. He is really, really interesting. I compared him a little bit to King Dunlap, though, uh, last year. Now, from what I understand, this year's film has been even better than what he put on tape a year ago. Uh, this is a guy that has played some right tackle, mostly right tackle uh, throughout the course of his career. He was a backup left tackle before entering the starting lineup as a junior. So he's got now two years under his belt as a starter on the right side. He's very tough to move off his spot at that size. He's got to get a little bit better with his leverage and with his hand placement. Based off my summer's tape study, that's what I saw from Jones. But uh, at the end of the day, if you are that big, there are certain teams that are going to really, you're going to catch a lot of people's eyes. Uh, LaRaven Clark comes to mind as a player that went to the senior bowl at that size and showed just enough from an athleticism standpoint to say, you know what, let's take this guy on day two. And that's what happened with Clark. He ended up going in the third round and has turned He's been a, a very serviceable swing tackle throughout the course of his career. We'll see if that, if that's the case with Jones or if that ceiling is even higher. So I'm excited uh, to dig deeper into his film from this year, but that's how I see Dewan Jones and JL Skinner. Maddie really appreciate the question there. Thanks so much for the, five-star review. Again, if you've ever got a question, a mock draft, uh, position rankings, whatever it is, you can go leave it there on the Apple podcast page and we will get to it here in an upcoming episode. Thanks so much to everybody that has done that in recent weeks. That said, we'll be back next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.